positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Havana syndrome. Oh yeah, Jake, <laughs> you're here. Yeah, why did you guys hear something just now? Yeah, this is a crazy sound. It felt like I don't know. I felt like I was kind of coming undone. Yeah. Um, Isn't that the uh, voice that goes over the loudspeakers at the southern border? Yeah, it tells people, people not to, to come crush. in, or they'll get Havana syndrome. Yeah. They'll Weird. get shot with the microwave. You're gonna get little Havana syndrome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Pod Damn America. You're going to be having a good time after you hear <laughs> us talk about the things we're going to talk about today. Are you? Ha- I keep reading about Havana Syndrome, and the only thing I can think about is Ricky Gervais on extras going, Are you having a laugh? Are you having a laugh? Mm. And it sounds like that's what having a syndrome <laughs> Are is. Are you having a laugh? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a fair question. CIA thing. Hello, I'm Jake Flores. Alex Patak is here. Hello, welcome to Miami. <laughs> Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee here. Um, and we all have a Vanna syndrome. So, if you're not extremely online and you haven't heard about this thing, or I guess it's not even just a Twitter thing, it's like in the real news. They passed a law. They passed a law in right? the Senate, yeah. Mind gun is says, in the news. <laughs> a bunch of well, yeah. CIA people who are stationed in Cuba are claiming that they their heads have been microwaved. And it's, very gently and in a way science can't explain. Yeah. So everyone has this mysterious. There's an actual term for what is actually happening, which is Munchausen syndrome, which is when you become really paranoid that you have a, a disease, but it's unexplainable and there's no actual effect on your body. And it sounds like ev- all these people just have that, but it's been given the name Havana syndrome and sort of like given these symptoms that are impossible for anyone to prove actually happened like i just heard a buzzing in my head and now yeah. I, no, I think i had this once <laughs> i had a i had a job uh, when i was 23 i got this job where you set up fake websites i don't think i've talked about this on here before and i just developed this phenomenon where i thought i was peeing myself all the time i have that like, I would just, I would swear, like, I felt, like, warm water going down my leg at, like, 9 in the morning on a Monday. It's, uh, <laughs> I just, I, whenever I smoke weed, I get that thing where... Yeah, yeah. You're sitting it's in a camping really- chair, and you're like, did I pee? Does everyone know I peed? 
<laughs> right. You know the Soviet bloc is behind it, but you can't explain how. Yeah. And uh, I was convinced that I had, like, spine damage from doing a moving job before that job. But I kept going to all these doctors, and they were like, you, I guess, just have ghost pee. <laughs> Medically, this is ghost pee. <laughs> you didn't Castro was behind this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's also, like... I feel like people will just get sick from traveling. It, it's pretty common. Especially, this isn't even intercontinental, really, but, you know, uh, international. Like, I traveled to Britain once and had a... All the burgers there are well done, like, by law. And uh, for some oh, reason, yeah. the well doneness of the burger, it's supposed to, you know, cure the sickness, but I think it sometimes does the opposite. Made me sick. There's so much in burger medicine we've yet to explore. <laughs> you know, yeah. Is like it traveling, not? eating bad, you know, food, British food. Well, it's make stress. I mean, to extrapolate right. more on this random, uh, uh, very likely unrelated story, like if you just have anxiety about things, your body will just start making up stuff. Yep. And uh, say what you will about the CIA, they're probably stressed about a <laughs> wide variety of things. <laughs> I think it's very likely. Yeah, I, I anyway, do. legally, they're being shot with a socialist ray gun <laughs> that's, that's everywhere in the world and can't be explained by science. Well, this is 100% something we tried to do, I'm sure, in the 60s or something to people in Havana. Yeah. So, well, that's what's kind of funny about this, reading about it today back to back with like the border stuff that we're going to talk about, because we're going to talk a little bit about the smart wall and how they have like microwave cameras that they use to scan you and your body like a terminator when you're trying to cross the border so that they can see you know how many fillings you have and then identify your body later or whatever like we would do this to someone else no fucking problem but then oh, it, yeah like the any anyone in the united states government gets a headache and they're like it, it's a, a fucking communist ray gun they're microwaving my head through the window <laughs> we have the finished version of this gun and they make you use it at the airport every time you go through right <laughs> you know that box where they're like we don't really know what's happening in here but here's a vest <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying like if 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 uh I, it's a little posh i think for for us for a spook to be like oh i went you know through a radiation thing and now my head hurt your head's gonna hurt a little bit it's part of life in the modern world is you get zapped with radiation all the time your phone is doing wildly experimental shit just shooting neurons through your leg next to your dick at all times we all have radiation. <laughs> You're not special that you got your head microwaved a little bit. Sir, you have right. 5G poisoning. Keep undermining the ambassador or whatever you're up to. <laughs> I do My like... was right. You shouldn't stand in front of the microwave. Yeah, you are you the microwave. You shouldn't stand in front of the microwave. You'll get Havana syndrome. My mom used to yell at me. Don't stand near the microwave. You'll get Havana syndrome from it. <laughs> it's going to make you Cuban, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to want to stand in front of it because I thought there's a possibility it could, you know, give me powers. Yeah, the right. powers are... You have to go to the hospital after that. Yeah, you have cancer. Yeah. Congratulations. I looked into power. the history of this phenomenon and, like, it's all this old Cold War stuff where, like, one wacko scientist in the States started microwaving his own head and he said it made him hear things and they weren't like sounds you could hear outside of his head it was like making him hear stuff in his head so he went to russia to talk to some 
to, to some other people, I guess some Russians that were also, he said he went to Russia and they had like this experimental lab set up where they just had a Russian guy in a bathtub of salt water, like a big tub. And they were like, shooting microwave rays at him. Like, you know, does it do hear things? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like none of this has ever been concluded, but it is a thing. It's like an urban legend in the intelligence community that's been around forever. Right. Well, this is only half of the news. The news is not that there is Havana syndrome or, you know, Havana syndrome, quote unquote. The thing is they they passed a bill for Havana syndrome relief, <laughs> which means like you never have to finish your homework again. If you're still in school listening to this, you just make things up and they're real now. They're officially codified in law. Every sitting congressman voted for it. <laughs> Is there some way this will be a backdoor to giving the people of Cuba syringes? I think it will be a backdoor to a ground invasion of Cuba. That's where I'm putting my vote. (laughs) I think um, I want to eat one of these microwaved heads. I mean, is it cooked afterwards? Is it like a baked potato? Like you could stick a fork in it? I mean, we eat brains from other species, so... It's probably tastes fine. That's true. That's I I haven't. <laughs> you can get uh, a lot of uh, fat and nutrients. You go to I went a, to this uh, Korean restaurant where I they gave you like the whole fish, like the the head of the fish, and I didn't I didn't know you weren't supposed to eat that. I was like I'm gonna try being cultured <laughs> and I bit the head off the fish. And everyone was like, Why did you do that? You ate a fish head <laughs> like a circus freak. <laughs> It did not taste good. Uh, I felt bad and stupid. <laughs> Everyone was mean to me. <laughs> did you get fish head syndrome after? I did in that uh, uh, I kind of wanted to barf for like a few minutes because it <laughs> tastes very different than the rest of the fish and I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> yeah. They eat sheep brain somewhere, don't they? Uh, I think it's a Scottish thing. No, I'm thinking of haggis. If you go to a, like a oh, real shit. fucking... Like a real down food, like taco truck, you can get like brain, but they're not, you're not, it's like, you can get brain at the taco truck (laughs) (laughs) if they're down for it. Yeah, you can also (laughs) eat some animal brains, but you you can get brain. The Brooklyn advice of the week is if uh, they're down bad at the taco truck, they'll give you brain. Yeah. Getting brain at the taco truck because this tortilla slinger don't give no fuck. Okay. Yes, Anders. All right. <laughs> We're segueing more into a rapping direction with the show. Yeah. I've long been a proponent of that. Okay, no, it's not. I thought it was going to be a deep screw thing, but it's still on robot yelling. How many buttons do you have? Because it's, it's... over the Zoom, it never sounds like anything. It always sounds insane. <laughs> I've got a pedal I don't really understand that has a lot of different knobs on it. It makes different <laughs> things come out. That was fucking crazy. That's a yeah. crazy one. It sounds like a robot is yelling. <sighs> well, hey, you know what is on the opposite end of the body from the brain? The foot. <laughs> the foot. The foot. And there's the a answer guy. is the foot. That's right. You have two feet, but usually two feet. But there is a guy whose name is Foot who just resigned as a U.S. envoy to Haiti. I don't actually know what an envoy is in relation to, like, an ambassador. 
Um, I think yeah. you like you you like you're like the hype man, right? Okay. Yeah, you spread it's, positive news right. about your country, which is hard to do right now if you're uh, an American trying to give hype to Haiti. Um, but they are actually well, they're not happy in Haiti because all these people are being um, deported and sent back there and they don't have the capacity for everybody because things are tough right now. Um, but this guy resigned and apparently uh, his resignation letter is going around Haiti. People are reading it, dissecting it um, and there's a joke that is going around is uh, why has there never been a coup in the United States? What do you, what do you think? Is there a punchline or? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I thought that was the whole joke. Too busy getting head at the taco truck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Everyone no, has Havana syndrome up there. <laughs> there's no U.S. embassy in the U.S. I see. Uh, see that is pretty smart. funny in its own way. In these dark times, gallows humor can be the blanket you need to get through the night. You know, I mean, there was, all, <laughs> according to some people in this country, there was almost a coup on January 6th. Yeah. Which uh, I'm, I think I land more in the camp of it was a hilarious thing that was never going to go anywhere. But you, uh, did you read all um, of the extras from HBO shows were going to <laughs> overthrow the government? <laughs> yeah. Did you guys read like the Sidney Powell thing that came out this week? Um, no. So they've sort of declassified or whatever some some communications that people had in the Trump administration about you know what was going on at the same time not in relation to J6 but just during his whole thing where he was like I'm going to stop the steal and uh long story short I mean it sounds like there were people communicating in the government possibly in relation to this plan that he had with his lawyer where he was like Here's how it could work if we were to, uh, you know, prolong the fucking, uh, counting of the votes and then yada, yada, yada. We declared, declared de facto victory for Trump. So he had a, Trump had a plan with his lawyer, which was to get Pence to speak a certain type of language, you know, and then go into the, cause he has to, the vice president has to count the votes and all this shit. I don't know the fucking. That's his special job. That's like the one thing he gets to do. Is <laughs> yeah. He's like the prom queen of votes. Yeah. Of the Senate. So I, I don't know fucking all the ins and outs of the, it's like, you know, complicated board game rules of the vice president has to do this and then bang a gavel or whatever. But uh, essentially they had a plan that re related to Pence. And I was thinking about this and I was reading about J6 and I, I, I'm kind of joking. I'm kind of not when I say this. I think it's possible that Trump really was going to get away with kind of doing a 2000 style stolen election, but the QAnon people like just happened to show up on that these day fans, man. and fuck it up for him, which is do shit with these fans. so funny. And you know, no one will ever know for sure, but just as like a Seinfeld B plot thing that comes back around at the end of the story, it's so funny to imagine that they thinking they were helping like fucked up his actual plan. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we forget the uh, Brooks Brothers riot um, in 2000 where we they were doing the recount and people fucking stormed in in suits 
uh, were Republican operatives and stopped it from happening. That was an actually successful, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a coup, but uh, successful subversion of democracy. Um, but anyway, so this guy, Daniel Foote, he resigns in a huff because this is a stupid policy. We're sending them back. This is just, you know, embarrassing that Biden spent all this time criticizing Trump on immigration and uh, inhumane policies. And then you have these images of guys running around on horses or riding around on horses with whips uh, in the fucking Spanish American war hats uh, dispatching uh, people you know them as seeking, cowboy hats. Right. People speaking, seeking asylum, which is not against the law. Uh, and so he resigns. And the funniest part is the White House is like, well, look, this guy could have he was he had his job for a while. He didn't talk about any of this to me when he was doing his job. Uh, and they say that uh, this is one State Department official says it's it is unfortunate that instead of participating in a solutions oriented policy process. Ugh, love those <laughs> special envoy foot has both resigned and mischaracterized the circumstances. I don't know what. He's mischaracterizing here. We're having uh, a great time. I don't know why you have to go out and disparage the United States uh, Border Patrol in this situation. Yeah. After, But yeah, this is a guy who who had a distinguished career in diplomacy and, of course, probably a a liberal imperialist in some way. But this is just a stupid, stupid policy, counterproductive. It's bad. And... um, you know, even people like him are calling it quits. So it's it's a new paradigm now because of uh, well, it's it started as we'll get into. Really started with uh, Clinton. Someone said it started with the Coolidge, but Trump really um, put things in a certain direction and and shifted the paradigm in a way that uh, so far doesn't look like Biden is uh, willing to to put back. Put things back in the box with uh, immigration and inhumane treatment and uh, the way. No, it only Cuba goes in one direction. It yeah. just goes up. It doesn't go back down ever. It's just a context right. of who can crank it up more. But that yeah. guy is cool. Good. Quitting your job is cool. Quitting your job is always cool. Daniel Foot. Yeah. Open invitation to come on the podcast. Get on LinkedIn, yo. You'll find right. another job. We get a lot of our guests from LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. It's. The number one tool for professionals to connect to LinkedIn.com. Get your link today. Yeah, that's where we got John McAfee. He was looking to be a podcast guest. <laughs> we actually got him on McAfee. He was trying to hack into our mainframe, and we found him, and we're going to delete him. Well, you instead but, do our show. Yeah. yeah, he tries to hack his own computer program to prove it's unhackable. It's one of but he's guys. on record saying it doesn't work. <laughs> like, none of it works. <laughs> it's all a rule. You think viruses are real? We're the viruses. <laughs> You're the computer. He just keeps doing the Agent Smith speech was like, the stink of it. Human beings. <laughs> <laughs> it's the so stink. your nostrils. Putting his fingers in your nose. <laughs> um, Mario got a new job on LinkedIn. He's What's being this? played by... Wait, I think I got it backwards. Uh, it's, uh, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt got a new job on LinkedIn. He's playing Mario yeah. in the new Mario movie. Not everyone's, Italian. Everyone's pissed off about it because he's not Italian. Also, not he's, Italian. he's not good. He sucks. He's a weird Christian. Mario is not a Christian, I don't think. 
Uh, I think, I think he's probably meant. Catholic. They intended to book 2008 Chris Pratt, though. They weren't thinking. Because now Chris Pratt is, like, jacked and handsome and, like, he's been a movie star. They wanted, like, the guy who was homeless six months ago and plays, like, schlub characters. Which, actually, that's not really Mario either. Because Mario's a very competent human being. He's been to the Olympics with yeah. Sonic. Have you ever met Sonic? Yeah. He's fat and competent. I mean, honestly, I could see where they were going with, like, a Chris Pratt type. Because he's got a little pot belly. But he yeah. loves, he could somehow jump. It's the fucking Hollywood brain thing where you're just like, we need a big name. Who are we putting on this? My Zendaya's fa- busy. Zendaya's busy. My favorite part of the, the Mario movie announcement cast thing is uh, much overlooked by Twitter. Sebastian Maniscalco is playing yes. a character I've never even heard of. And I play a lot of video games. So <laughs> that's the thing. It must be like a new character or something. But uh, he's what is, it? what is it? Spike. He's playing a character named Spike from Mario. See, I bet that's like oh. probably like it's not the bullet with the face, but it's probably something that you like have seen a million times. But you're like that. That surely doesn't have a name. Yeah, you just why would that have a name? name? <laughs> yeah, he's playing Pokey, the thing with the weird Pokey head. Well, I know Pokey's name. I don't know who Spike Jim is. Jim Gaffigan is Dry Bones. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on, though. Sebastian Matascalco is, like, extraordinarily Italian. Yeah. yeah. Why isn't he Mario? He loves jumping He's and Italian stuff? He's Italian-American. It's different. It's much... a whole other vibe. He'd have to be a Waluigi. He could be that, too. Anything... You know what I mean, though? Like, he has a whole different energy than Mario. But, I mean, Chris Sebastian? Pratt... Yeah. Chris Pratt has a closer... I'm not saying it's the correct casting, but Sebastian Maniscalco has, like, what the Japanese call warugi, or malice and intent. <laughs> no, it would be so funny, though, if Mario's voice was, like, Dice Man or Maniscalco or something that was just like, hey, bitch! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, that really gets to the core of the whole problem, is all these people are going to be talking, like, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong? What is, like, Donkey Kong doesn't talk. Don't yeah. put a funny guy as Donkey Kong. <laughs> huh? Does he like that? He makes, like, Tim Allen noises? Yeah. You know he steals women. He, like, just grabs and takes women. Princess and that's Peach? okay? Mainly her, but yeah, others, he others that too. was a phase, and then after that, he reformed himself and he steals women. had a family with uh, you know the little Kongs, Diddy. Um, what I mean, he's literally so what I've our theme music is his music, right? So yeah, I'm we can't Donkey really Kong. trash him, unfortunately. But uh, he steals women. Yeah, well, <laughs> do, do we know that Peach didn't want to? Oh, oh no, we are not we are not going into <laughs> okay. this. I think that's I'm just saying was going that, uh, I know someone who's doing research on the Vikings and Donkey uh, Kong apologist. The Vikings are often portrayed as doing the same thing, stealing women, but new research suggests that the kind women of the actually Donkey Kongs of their time. Right. <laughs> new research suggests that in Great Britain, uh, a lot of the men were smelly and unattractive. And then, and had short hair. And then these uh, Vikings come in with long hair, they bathe, and uh, the women are actually into it. So, they have really good muscles from killing Englishmen. What you're suggesting is that Princess Peach and Mario are hanging out, 
and she's kind of bummed out because he never showers. He hangs out in the sewer all day. He's yeah. gross. And then this Donkey Kong fellow shows up who is, you know, he's an animal, but he's wearing a tie. He's groomed. Smells like bananas. He smells like bananas. And he's well-groomed and he's strong and he demonstrates his worth. And so what she does to alleviate the situation is sort of go like, oh, no, he's taking me. (laughs) But in reality, she's like, Donkey Kong, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, throw throw barrels at him. Get him with a barrel. That's what I think is happening. I don't think she, you know, who would you rather be with, Donkey Kong or Mario? Donkey Kong is a Chad. Mario is a virgin. Right. Mario is, again, a wonderful man (laughs) who's done so much for this community. He's kind of a cuck. He's constantly getting cucked by... Both Donkey Kong and Koopa. Right. Right. And uh, the Koopa part of it is like a darker side if she's going with them because he's a bad guy. He's not a good guy like Donkey Kong in like a moment of crisis. Like he's like a he has like stocks and bad companies and stuff. Hmm. I guess so. Yeah. He doesn't really do anything other than just sort of run around with her. Right, well, he has a castle, and if you don't work all day and are exorbitantly rich, what does that mean? Stock trader, investment portfolios, growth accounts, uh, you're affording your large lava skull castle. You're bringing women there being like, yeah, it's no problem, I got a few of these. Okay, but Princess Toadstool and the Toad people also have a castle. The only person who doesn't have a castle here is Mario, who lives in the sewer canonically. Right, well, does he live? I thought he just works there. Where does he live? Show me where he lives. He has girlfriends and he lives with them. <laughs> He's got a really good heart is what a lot of people don't know about him. <laughs> He's been to the Olympics with Sonic. He's Sonic's friend. Yeah. Uh, Twice. Twice. He parties a lot. Mario party. And he has, you know, fun, active. Partying. The way they party, by the way. Not even what I would, you or I would identify as a party, the things yeah. going on in that situation. Yeah. Do you guys want to have enough. a party at my place where the party <laughs> is that we each try to inflate a giant balloon look, looks like our heads <laughs> as fast right, as possible? He can't what? stop gaming. That's it. Even when he's trying to relax, he needs to compete. He's an ultra competitive guy. I come uh, over Jake's house. He's got like an 1800s <laughs> mine car. We're supposed to move back and forth across. The <laughs> Dude, uh, I look at you. I'm like, you like to party, you know? Yeah. Like it's I didn't bring any drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you liked yeah. to party. You need both hands. <laughs> I thought we were gonna do heroin. What's going on? What is this? <laughs> uh, but apparently, this movie is not gonna be live action. Just to uh, clarify things, that would be um, it. Would be insane if this was a live action movie. With well, they made one in what 1990 with uh, John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins. Yeah, it was awesome. Leguizamo, yeah. by the way, not Italian, but right, that's okay. He just he fits under the diaspora mold. He, he'll, he'll just go for those roles. They'll give it to him. It's like a reverse Al Pacino situation. I guess it's fine if you're. POC to play a white person, but not vice versa. Sure, that's just taking the power back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and work? Mario 2 is a really big figure to to capture. Yeah. I think he was Luigi. Um, Bob Hoskins when, was Mario. Yeah. When Mario goes down 
like the big green tunnels. Is that crossing a border in some way? Yeah. Ooh, good question. There's it like can a, be. There's an evil. That's why. That's what Koopa is. Bowser is trying to stop. <laughs> he's ice. He's Bowser ice. is ice. He's the Department of Homeland Security. Well, he's. Hold on. I can. I. I think I could do this. So, Koopa, the original turtle monster dragon thing is a uh, border patrol. He's been around for a long time. Yes. Now, when something external to the story of the Mushroom Kingdom occurred that uh, was spun as sort of a nationalistic, jingoistic, uh, disaster porn thing occurred right around 1992, three, four, something like that. That's when they formulated a new organization that rolled out Bowser... As he's so he's like um, CBP, and then Ice is uh, his children: Iggy, mm. Ziggy, uh, Roy, Lenny. They're all named after like musicians, except for That's, Larry. I do, I do passionately feel like the Bowser children are fash even more so than Bowser himself, mm. and that's something we'll be getting into later. No in doubt. great detail, but not now. Yeah, because they're like evil punks, which is you know like a bat like. They're fascists. They're like skinheads. But the thing is, too, and if you look at the technology Bowser has, it's light years above King Koopa's. um, And it reflects the bloated budgets. And all this money is going to Bowser. All this money is going to his tanks that float with their skulls on it or his face. Yeah, that his face on it. That smiley clown thing he flies around in is like one of these uh, ghost drones they use at the border. You imagine you try to cross the border and then there's like a Bowser <laughs> fucking flying thing with some asshole border patrol agent in it. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about this on the episode because I didn't want to sidetrack the guest. But when he was talking about helicopters for a while, helicopters are the loudest goddamn thing. If you don't live in a city, if a helicopter gets like within 500 feet of you, it's all you can. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. When he talks about the helicopters, imagine it's the Bowser copter from the end of right. SNES Mario. That will ground it for many of our listeners. Yeah. All right. Today we are talking to Todd Miller, writer and journalist, writes about the border. Uh, and we're talking about the border because of uh, stuff that happened this week. Enjoy our interview. now joined by journalist and writer Todd Miller. Uh, you might know his substack, The Border Chronicle. I just started reading it. It's really good. He's also the author of Build Bridges, Not Walls, Empire of Borders, Storming the Wall, and Border Patrol Na- Nation. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you for having me. Good to, good to have you here. Okay, um, so I guess the reason that I wanted to have you on the show and talk a little bit to you is about uh kind of wanted to ask you some questions about the context surrounding this recent thing uh where you know the 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 discourse of the last week has been about um well the border and dhs and cbp uh i'm trying to pull i guess the lens back from 
oh my god, there were fucking border agents with whips whipping Haitians and stuff. To how did we get here? You know, what's the what's the whole story? So I guess if we could start uh, a little bit with, can you tell? us a little bit about the origins of Homeland Security. I know you've written a little bit about it. Sure. Um, Well, Homeland Security really hasn't been the department. I'm talking about the Department of Homeland Security really hasn't been around for that long. It's it's uh, it was created in 2002, implemented in 2003. It's it's interesting. If you go back to those days, you even have, uh, you know, conservatives like uh, Peggy Noonan complaining about the word homeland like saying this why why are we using this word homeland it has it comes from germany in the 1930s uh, you know and 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 so uh but um but homeland security like the the creation of the department of homeland security was gigantic in terms of the border and uh what is on the border and how the border is today, the U.S. Mexico border, and I, I could actually talk about other facets of the of the U.S. border, but we'll focus on the U.S. Mexico border for today. <clears throat> Anyhow, so if you look at the at the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, two agencies were created. One was called Customs and Border Protection, CBP. CBP is the parent agency of the U.S. Border Patrol. So when you see the Border Patrol on horseback in Del Rio, Texas, that's basically CBP. And then another agency that was uh, created was ICE, or Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So these two agencies, even though the Border Patrol existed before then, the Border Patrol actually was created in 1924. But those two agencies in their most modern form um, were, were made in 2003, and they had because of the 9-11 and the post-2001 and the Homeland Security element, they all had, um, they have, uh, their priority mission is counterterrorism. And if you look at CBP, it's, it's, its priority mission is stopping terrorists and weapons of mass destruction from crossing the U.S. border. Um, so what, what has happened since then is that there have been no such things crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, there's no, there, there have been no terrorists as recognized by the U.S. government that we know about that have crossed the U.S. border, but budgets because of that mission just skyrocketed. So if you follow the budgets going over the years, um, when George W. Bush and started his presidency in 2001, it was $4.5 billion budget for border and immigration enforcement. By the time he ended, it was $15 billion. And this, so, and now when, when Trump started, it was 20 billion. And when Biden started, it was 25 billion. So you can just see there's been incremental growth of, of this, uh, border apparatus and those budgets and their annual budgets numbers that I'm giving, they translate into, uh, for example, border patrol agents. Now there's nearly 21,000 border patrol agents that went up, that went up from 8,000 in 2001. There's, uh, um, even before Trump took office, there were 650 miles of walls and barriers along the 2,000-mile U.S.-Mexico border. Now there's nearly 750 miles. There's all kinds of technology uh, from surveillance cameras, high-tech surveillance cameras, and drone systems, and um, aerostats, which are tethered surveillance balloons that are on the that are deployed on the U.S.-Mexico border, all part of this this system. So when People come to the border. This is what they're running up against. 
So when you're, what you're seeing in Del Rio right now is basically um, one version of this of the border as this this large group of Haitians who have arrived at the border is, is kind of crashing into that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I guess one thing I kind of wanted to focus on is uh, something that I think needs to be maybe a little demystified for um americans is that there's this politicization sometimes of the border issue as if it's like a partisan thing um like on twitter you know you see all these like liberals kind of like how could this happen we have biden as president or you know or i thought this was like a trump thing or whatever but it seems as if you track the history of the the dhs and all of this stuff it just sort of increases through every presidency. Like it doesn't matter who it is because the, the, like the private contractors and stuff like that are just playing both sides of the coin and whoever gets in, they just lobby more. So like how exactly, well, how did that play out? I mean, you know, how does, how does this stuff look under democratic presidents? If, if people, you know, have a hard time imagining that. Yeah, uh, people should go back to the 1995 State of the Union address by Bill Clinton uh, and listen to the part on immigration. And then, well, uh, or maybe somebody, you could take that little section on immigration and play it to a friend and and ask, or just read it to a friend so they don't hear the voice. And just ask too long they... we have support. We have let <laughs> immigrants cross our borders. It was something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sound. It almost sounds like Trump with that with right. the Clinton voice, right? <laughs> uh, um, We've been treated real... very unfairly by our neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he talks also about uh, how how uh, I wish I could do the imitation. I would really do. Um, but how you want to give uh, it a try? <laughs> no, no, I'll just, it's a safe space. None of us are I, good I, at it. It's okay. Yeah. Andrew yeah wasn't I good think, at it. Just, I don't, excuse I me. I, I will have, you know, <laughs> yeah, I would, but I, I mean, I, I'll just maul it so badly, but That's anyhow, I mean, we'd, vo- we'd all be better than Clive Owen. Who is playing him right now? Not to go on a huge tangent, but I've seen uh, I saw John Lithgow play Bill Clinton live. He made no uh, attempt to do the impression at all, and now Clive Owen Sad. is doing him on TV, and he's actually doing a wonderful job without even trying to lean into it too much. Anyway, John Lithgow we'll be doing was a five playing... part breakdown of Clive Owen over the next month. <laughs> Let's get back to the interview. <laughs> yes, go on. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyhow, in that inner, in, I, I would now recommend going and listening to it. Um, but, uh, he, he does talk about how, you know, no other administration has, has, uh, built up the border patrol. No other administration has put all this money into it. When you're talking, when you're looking at, uh, walls, some of the first, I mean, there were chain link fences before along the U.S. Mexico border, but, but the first kind of walls that were going up in urban areas, that's where they first started. Like Nogales, San Diego, El Paso, Brownsville, um, those areas. The whole idea was that you build up the border in cities that were traditional places where people crossed. And then what was implemented was a strategy called prevention through deterrence. So the uh, the whole idea of the the, the deterrence was that that like the desert in Arizona where I live, uh, it you, it would just be too desolate, and dangerous, and deadly to cross they even in the first border patrol memo they even use the words mortal danger by closing off the cities mm. forcing people into the deserts it would cause a mortal danger and that would be the deterrent and so you that whole strategy which is the same exact strategy we have today uh was started under the bill clinton administration 
1994. And is, um, it, is it fair to say that around that time, uh, NAFTA was a big contributing factor to an influx of immigration and immigration from uh, Mexico and Latin America becoming a bigger part of American politics? Yes, huge, huge, huge. Um, the if you uh, Doris Meisner and she was a commissioner of the Immigration and Naturalization Service. So this is pre DHS, right? And she got up in front of con or in a she was in a congressional hearing. I believe it was 1992, and she said NAFTA. She got up. I'm paraphrasing, of course. What, can you do her imitation? I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> Don't challenge him. I'm Doris. No, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, she got up in front of Congress and said NAFTA is going to cause displacement and migration from Mexico, like knowing that uh, Mexican farmers are going to be undermined by NAFTA and that we need to then uh, harden our borders because of it. And it was then it was like a year later that Operation Hold the Line, Operation Gatekeeper, Operation Safeguard, all these operations from the Bill Clinton administration, much that I was just describing just got implemented. And that's when he went to the 1995 State of the Union. And from then on, pretty much through even through DHS, this whole idea of prevention through deterrence and budgets going up and up and up and uh, more and more Border Patrol agents and more and more walls and more and more technologies all coming together has been the modus operandi of the of the border. And through uh, the George W. Bush administration was particularly because that was the 9-11. Mm-hmm. That, that increase of budgets was, in, it was dramatic, but it continued in the Obama administration, of course, continued with Trump. And it seems like Biden is just carrying, he's got the baton. He has some nice uh, humanitarian, you know, he has the hu- humanitarian rhetoric going pretty nicely. Um, but the same systems that have been in place for all these years and have been increasing and fortifying uh, seem to be still going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy that his, like his fan base or his like, you know, whatever the following, uh, the, the culture war stuff you were reading online about him when he was running versus Trump was kids in cages. We have to stop Trump because of kids in cages and stuff. And it's just kind of baffling to look at the raw numbers and see that he's taking in more money than even the Trump administration was being offered. It just seems like every president, they start offering more and more money and it becomes more and more profitable to do things like keep kids in cages. So I don't know. I don't know how we square that. Um, if it's not too much of a tangent, tangent just succinctly, because I am curious about this. We've talked about the uh, 90s buildup of the border before and, uh, you know, the rise of militarization after 9-11. But uh, out of curiosity, what was kind of the role of the border police before, like, the last 30 years? Like, what were they doing down there before we decided to make, like, robot dogs that chase you down in the desert? Well, uh, well, you could look and say the there was a, a, a tendency towards militarization going back to the 70s, and that's particularly getting some training from U.S. military and uh, using military surplus equipment on the border and that sort of thing. So you could see it starting to trickle in in the 70s. But before before that, it was more, um, I guess, you know how you, Trump, the Trump administration used to use that term catch and release? Yeah, like you, you were, remember that? How, like yeah. you're hunting for yeah, it was deer? Always, yeah, it's a, it's a ridiculous term. I, I even hate to, to use it, but... Uh, 
that's he used it but every time he used it the whole idea of catching the idea what he was talking about catch and release is that people would come across the border they'd get caught by the border patrol and then the border patrol would, would release them like would drive them back to the like if they got caught coming from mexico uh they just drive them back to the port of entry and not even formally deport people they'd be released there's a difference between being released and formally deported formally deported you get that on your record and when you get that on your record that it like um triggers other things if you get caught again um so that it kind of it used to be like that people across the border was um there was border patrol there's border patrol since 1924 but you could it was really actually there was a lot of freedom of movement people would cross back and forth constantly there was a lot of cyclical immigration where people came up from mexico or central america as well and would come in and work certain seasons and then go back um so that that more circular uh migra- migration patterns were happening which have stopped they've been completely disrupted by the militarized borders now 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 it's it's like really hard to go back and come you know go back and forth it's just mm. really difficult and deadly um so uh so it comes from a, another a kind of new other space that has really i mean the militarization of the border and the drastic uh, um aspects of it it's really uh recent it's very a recent phenomenon it's funny how it's often brought up like oh it's always just been like this and it's like no it hasn't it really hasn't been like this <clears throat> right um, people like to think of it as like um uh was like an invented tradition or whatever like it's a thing that you can point to and go well i don't know why it's just a fact of life like you have to sort of uh have borders around your country and and uh and this has been this way forever when in reality i think what helps people understand maybe why this is such a specific blip in time and like a moment is looking at like to me it looks like there's two factors right there's a climate stuff which people are talking about a lot with you know hey people are leaving uh fleeing you know an earthquake and then in guatemala there's been this sort of periodic thing back and forth between droughts and hurricanes um and then also though i think really the big missing piece of the conversation for probably americans a lot of the time is the neoliberal accumulation stuff that went around with NAFTA in the nineties, because like, you know, if you look at like what was going on with the Zapatistas and shit like that in the, in, in Mexico around NAFTA and in response to NAFTA, there, there was this kind of like group of, um, you know, rural, like, like workers and, uh, indigenous population that were saying, you know, if you, and this is, if you read your fucking theory and you read Marx, you know about this like need for a, a surplus population. There was there was sort of pointing out this this situation they've been fucked into, which is, you know, there's no one with a gun to your head if you're a Mexican worker that says you have to work in a maquila for like seven dollars a day or whatever. But there are all these de facto factors that are like by negative pushing you in there. So like the fact that you can't leave, you can't leave the space, you can't immigrate to you know the country that is literally got its arm over the border like pulling this money back in and also you can't really work anywhere else because all the labor is drived up and then eventually you know they bring in the military and you know so you're you you have to work in the factory or whatever um those are related to this country that is not just because mexico is not doing as good of a job as america it's because american business is being conducted in mexico so i to me when i look at that i i'm you know, I don't see this as like a, uh, oh, if you vote for the Democrats next time, they'll stop doing that. That's, uh, 
that's a product, the byproduct of like the overall system of, uh, you know, accumulation and distribution that we operate under in this country. Um, there's but, also, I mean, in terms of just, uh, raw neoliberalism, uh, the, the thing you were bringing up earlier about the budgets bloating and the camps that keep popping up and more money moving over to that part of the economy is just a bloating sector of essentially like military production, right? Like this is an exciting new thing. There's political will for if you make prisons, you can make a lot of money getting contracts for this. And so it's going to continue under both administrations because it's just, you know, putting stuff in the growth machine, man. Right. That's the other like uh, part of the equation that just sort of like perfectly works in harmony with this is that there's this, there's this industry that is perfectly uh, situated to benefit off of this, which is like private uh defense contractors and stuff like that people literally like came home from american wars and then went well i still need to sell all this shit so can you tell us a little bit about that because I, I read that you went to like the uh, these border security expos and saw like new you know ghost drones and pepper ball grenades and shit like that that they're selling um yeah yeah good yeah sure i've been going so i've been doing this research on these expos and conventions and and uh, the border industry and border immigration industry for a while now. And it's, it's, um, I just like, I going to these conventions have been, even though I've been to many of them, I've been, now I've been to them around the world. I've been to a lot of them in the United States, but I've also been to, uh, in Paris and Tel Aviv and, uh, in Mexico city. Uh, so, uh, just kind of following this kind of global Homeland security industry, and it's it's just when you go to these places, it's 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 a it's a visual of this intense like science fiction like industry that's just all compressed into like a convention hall, and you go in there and you see like drones like sitting on these red carpets and and robots crawling around on the floor and biometric systems like facial recognition taking your pictures and you see yourself on a, th a thermal energy on on a screen and you see like an aerostat a balloon like with a camera on you up on the rafters and all these like banners from companies like lockheed martin or or uh raytheon or elbit systems they're like all hanging up there and it's like going what i've it's like going into a crystal ball of the future of like what's being deployed on the borders. And, uh, and, and, and in these conventions, I've been able to see like kind of interaction between like the Homeland security officials and the private industry and how they come together and talk and they have these meetings together. And it's, it's, uh, it's like watching this, this, uh, arm of the, I guess it was the military industrial complex, but it's now this arm of it called the, that I call the border and immigration industrial complexes is skyrocketed, right? Like there's been, uh, in the, from 2008 to 2020, I believe there is, um, I'm remembering, I think there's 105,000 con private contracts given by, by, um, CBP and ICE to, uh, that totaled, uh, $55 billion. Um, which if you take the if you take the, the the total budgets from 1975 to 2002 of the total cumulative budgets of border and immigration enforcement it was 52 billion dollars so there's more given to private companies in the last 12 years 
uh, than there was in 27 whole years. That shows how much this has grown as well. And then these companies, they just have uh, all kinds of influence. Um, of course, they want more contracts. Once you get a contract for something, you get a maintenance contract for that thing. Uh, uh, you have like all this lobbying ability in Washington. You can get behind closed doors. You can go talk to politicians and the appropriations or places where they dole out the budgets. You can, uh, uh, you, and then of course the campaign contributions. And that, that, this will be my last point. The, the con, the, I was even surprised that it went so much in favor of Biden when we were doing the number crunching for the 2020 election and comparing the border industries can, campaign contributions to from Trump to brought to Biden. Um, I had to do it like three times to make sure that I, that I was seeing these figures correctly. Like I thought it would be kind of even because that's how they normally are. Like 50, 50, maybe 52, 48 in favor of Trump. You know, it's, it is betting on both sides, right? Like you win yeah. no matter what. Yeah. It's like but gambling. It was, like you cover your bet, you bet yeah. on black and yeah, then also exactly. you're betting it's on like, or whatever. Yeah. You don't lose. Well, um, well, are there different sort of uh, factions of the sector? Because I'm just reading now that um, apparently Biden is has a clause with the new contracts that uh, the migrant detention facilities, the the uh, contractors there have to speak Spanish and some of them <laughs> Haitian Creole. Uh, and I know oh. that smart border technology, uh, the makers of that contributed to Biden quite heavily. Is there some difference there between different types of contractors are – uh, betting on the Republicans and different ones are betting on the Democrats. Yeah. Uh, so the private prison contractors and the main ones are uh, Core Civic and Geo Group. And Core Civic used to be Corrections Corporation of America. People might CCA. Um, they, uh, I noticed that they really contribute heavily to Republicans, mm -hmm. uh, like 90 to 10%. It's and that's the one that I saw. Whoa, that's that's a considerable amount, you know, going to the Republicans. But still, uh, at the same time, like the Biden administration, I, I just looked at some of Geo Group and CoreCivic's contracts. They're getting them. <laughs> if you start looking at the last eight months, uh, I saw a contract for detention centers in I think Louisiana, Texas, and I can't remember where else. There's like four of them that I saw. And they're happening. The contracts are happening. Uh, the the detention centers are, are getting contracted. They um, they have a I think they have a budget for I can't remember how many people. It's something like thirty five thousand people per day that they can detain. And these are this is usually through ICE. So people who are detained are uh, detained because they're in deportation hearings, and um, so people often fight their deportation hearings and that sort of thing. But those sort of at the end, oh, this is the clincher. You can make um, uh, the last figure I saw, and I bet it's even higher now, was one hundred twenty-four dollars per day per bed that um, that the private company gets. So every person in there, they get well. It's it's whether they're there or not. They have they have they're contracted for a certain amount of people, so they get one hundred twenty-four dollars per day per person. That is. Um that is kind of an interesting point that you brought up, Anders, because, like, of course, the old school private prison people are going to know 
the Republicans are going to buy their stuff. And then the, like the smart wall stuff seems like it's a thing that the, like the Democrats lead with where it's like somehow more humane, you know, like you right. sh- shock your dog with an electric thing. You're like, no, it's more humane or whatever. But just, <laughs> like just, humane war. Yeah. But like, cause I was reading about the Disney mm-hmm. channel, original movie, smart house yeah. but for the border. <laughs> I was reading about, um, one of the, one of those like biothermal scanner things they have now that uh, apparently it can tell what religion you are or like make a, a, a at least an like a, estimation or whatever do you know anything about that todd i don't know i have not uh, that i thought one it doesn't surprise me Two, no i haven't heard i think it was just going off a biothermal scanner geez um tattoos and stuff like that or whatever (laughs) is it like a facebook quiz i don't know (laughs) how would you know that i mean i guess it was maybe that it figures out who you are and then it just like grabs that yeah like from your fucking facebook I, i don't know i didn't make it yeah oh yeah there is a lot of technology like that coming where they bust in your social media and then they do profiles on you and uh um like if you're flying from the united from some place outside the united states to the united states and something about you uh you know raises a red flag uh with somebody in cbp they know everyone who's coming in and they'll they'll they can bust into your your uh, they have this program software and you can get in and they like build up profiles and see where you've gone and where where you haven't gone and you know like should we follow up with this person or not right they can see what technology like that we can see what harry potter house you're in from your quizzes that you took and stuff like that yeah yeah stuff like that um speaking of uh the politicians um and the people that are sort of being lobbied by these private contractors and stuff like that who then become you know points for influence i want to talk a little bit about um Biden's choice for secretary of DHS, this guy, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, because when he was uh, announced back when Biden was sort of announcing, you know, the, 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 the wokest, you know, most diverse, et cetera, cabinet of all time. And, and you know, that was sort of the 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 line on it. Um, this guy was being sort of <laughs> being presented as like the first uh, Latinx, you know, um, head of DHS, and he's. I, I, if I'm being crass about this. I'm Mexican, so I'm gonna allow myself a little bit of leeway here. But like, it's he's a blue-eyed Cuban guy, and he also he looks like me with a shaved head. Yeah, he looks like <laughs> he shaves his head, and uh, and he's he like Lex Luthor. He's also like an immigrant. He when he was he was one years old, but he when he was one year old, he came from Cuba, uh, which you know has a certain background. People that come from Cuba. And uh, so he's to, to play himself off as this sort of like, um, you know, Latinx, like DHS head or whatever is kind of misleading. I think he's white and he's conservative and he has uh, probably anti-immigration views. Uh, but can you tell us about this guy? Do you know about his background? Oh, I, I, I don't know that much about Mallorca. So I do. Um, besides, you know, all the stuff that you just brought up. Um what I, I mean, what I did, I mean, I know that he, he's, uh, he's, um, he was a DHS bureaucrat. He, he was, uh, working with the Obama administration in DHS. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, after that, when a Trump was in office, he went, he, uh, got this job at a law firm called Wilmer Hale, I believe. And the one thing I really looked into when his time at Wilmer Hale is that he, um, disclosed, right before his, uh, his confirmation hearing that uh, he had made $3 million uh, from 
a whole list of like five or six companies. Mm. And when you look at the companies, I saw, oh, there's Northrop Grumman is one of them. And they're a big border contractor. And then the other one was Laidos, um, another big border contractor. In fact, Laidos just got a huge, 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 almost a billion dollar contract with CBP. So he, so, uh, so he discloses that he made $3.3 million or something like that from these contracts or from, from these companies. And then here he is as head of DHS with these, some of, at least two of these companies are companies that will be, he will, he'll, he'll have the power to, to wield tremendous influence on whether he contracts them or not. And so, uh, that's what I've, you know, beyond, that's what I've really looked at with my Yorkus more than anything, his connections there, his, uh, um, uh, those sorts of, uh, um, which, which makes me just look at him very skeptically and, uh, and, um, I want to look at him very carefully and watching, you know, even watching like how that his, like how he's doing, you know, conducting his own business, conducting business or conducting himself as secretary of the department of Homeland security. He said, he seems like, just like you were saying, you know, he says like, he seems like he's saying all the correct things. He makes sure he says everything correctly. They sound nice, but in reality, what's going on is the same sort of border apparatus a violent border apparatus that you see so clearly with, with the, in Del Rio with the Haitians right now. Um, and, uh, that, that, that sort of violence that you see there, it just happened to be that this was on camera. This is day to day stuff, right? It could be horses, horses with like the rain, the whips, the reins, the whips. It could be, uh, the pepper balls that you're just talking about. It could be concussion, concussion grenades. It could be bullets. It could be like agents on ATVs. It could be agents in big vehicles. Um, it could be agents like in helicopters that, that regularly come down and dust. They, what they do is dust, quote unquote, people who are walking through the desert and make them scatter, sometimes run over the sides of cliffs or run into cactus patches. Does it just mean like shooting lost. a machine gun off or something? Um, it's like they get there. They come down. With, they, 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 they find somebody usually with a smart, the quote unquote, humane, smart border technology, right? right? They find out where people are, are working are walking. And then they'll send a helicopter. The helicopter will come and then it'll find the people and then it will lower down. So the, the propellers, they call it dusting because the propellers are oh. low. They, 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 the dust comes up and it scares the crap out of everyone. Everyone just flees in every which way. Um, and you're in the desert. Like most people don't even know like which way is which. So you're dependent on a guide and the, and everyone, like people get lost. Uh, people run over cliffs. Uh, you run, you know, you fall into a cactus, you get, you step on a rattlesnake. I mean, there's a hundred things that could happen. Yeah. These are hap- This is like the practices uh, that's, that are happening every day, right? That of, of, of violence of the same, in, in the same way that we saw, that we see in Del Rio. Um, and this is exactly what's going on with Mallorcas as well. It's, it's like, oh, when this, when you get caught, when it's televised, then you have to, you, you'll make, you'll get on television and you'll, You'll say the correct things, 
Right. Biden was saying, oh, this is not who we are or whatever. But it's like, right. Who are we? What do you mean? (laughs) This is happening all the time. Right. It is who we are. Right. We've read we have a Google Doc open that says what we're about and it's on it. Uh, What do you you think about the fact they're getting rid of the horses? I mean, that's what de Blasio ran on for mayor. That's got to be good, right? (laughs) They get the. Um, they, so yeah, the getting rid of the horses, that's, that's one of the most, I think to me, of it's the most Democrat thing that could possibly be done, right? Like, is, is it actually the, going to be any better on ATVs? I know maybe you've looked into this a little bit more. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that meme you see of the Pawn Star guys where the guy's going, the best I can do, get rid of the horses. Like, get rid of the horses. It's not the point at all. <laughs> And then they make a big deal of it, right? It's all over the place. Oh, they're banning the horses. It's, right. It's just so... <laughs> no word on the whips, as far as I yeah. have heard. Were the horses biting people or something? <laughs> it was one of the, I didn't see the whole clip. I don't know. It looked pretty tranquil. The horses actually kind of like pissed off at what the guy on top of them was doing. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's not the horses I can't, couldn't interview them mass on that. Though. Keep the horse. Yeah, this, the horse is, this is an okay. extreme dumb guy line of thinking, but every time I see some kind of atrocity on a horse, you have to think like, the horse... The horse would never have gone along with this. <laughs> oh, I know. They don't want cops on their backs, you know? Right. Um, but there's like 2,000, 3,000 years of history of horses. I know. It's so sad. They're having a bad year. Some stuff. Everyone's taking their medicine. Stop associating with horses if you're listening at home. Um, well, the reason I brought up um, that uh, Mayorkas is Cuban, is I think that it's kind of a Cuban immigrant himself, is I think it's something kind of interesting about. An immigrant, right? Uh, his his <laughs> family fled the uh, fled, fled Castro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, is you know, he is, during that time during like when um, well, I guess that was not that time. But I was re- I was reading about Reagan. I was reading about when Reagan was office and uh, how here we go again. Inviting he was for you know certain Cuban populations to be led into the country wall. Now you've got this thing where people's eyes are on this this population of Haitians that are trying to make it through this process of following coyotes and shit like that to cross the desert into this country to escape from things that are, you know, largely byproducts of this country and how historically Haitians have been like bottom of the list in terms of who gets allowed in while Cubans have been at the top. So like the Mayorkas just to me, he has all these conflicts of interest. If you like look under a, a microscope a little bit more closely, like, um, you know, that's this is, historically, he's not going to have a good disposition towards these, uh, these populations. And like, I don't know. So what's going on with the Haiti right now? Um, can you enlighten us on like a little you know, why, like why are, are are people fleeing Haiti right now and, and coming to the U.S. Is it just climate change? Is it you know a compounded history of uh, of you know fucking all this horrible shit the United States has done, the cholera stuff and the economic stuff? I mean, what, what exactly is going on down there right now? Yeah, without I mean, um, well, I mean, I can attempt to give like a general picture of what I think uh, the. Like the, I think it's compounding issues for sure. Like hearing some interviews with people, um, and I'm I'm actually gonna write a piece this week for the Border Chronicle. Um, that's called gonna be called I think the U.S. Haitian border. It's gonna go into like all the different ways that the U.S. border has 
like what's going on in Del Rio, but it also how it's extended right up to the shores of Haiti, right? With Coast Guard cutters, like in the 2010 earthquake, that was devastating, uh, killed more than 200,000 people in Haiti. Uh, the U.S. set Coast Guard cutters and sent a, a jet uh, jumbo air uh, air force jet over Haiti with an inter- somebody talking on the intercom or the it was the um, the ambassador you know, speaking in Creole but translating from English from a message from the Department of Homeland Security of the United States saying not to leave if you leave you'll be interdicted and sent back so this whole idea of like this border harassment of Haitians is 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 has a long history and extends almost right up to their shores but uh, I would say that there's so many you know I've I would like look look at the long history of um, U.S. policy and U.S. Uh, um, the different interactions with the U.S. in, in Haiti um, from economic. You know, you have similar things like with NAFTA, with the corn and NAFTA, and just flooding the Mexican market with uh, with subsidized corn from the US, huge U.S. corporations right. going against small farmers. Same in Haiti, except with rice. And this again goes back to Bill Clinton. He apologized for this, uh, giving right. some Arkansas's uh, Arkansas companies you know, uh, allowing them to, to export their rice to Haiti and then undermining Haitian small farmers. So you, so you have the neoliberal economic model that's just a straight jacketed the island along with, you know, this, this huge history of, you know, you get different presidents who have, uh, if, if there's any semblance of a more progressive policy or a policy that's not beholden to the United States, all of a sudden, the iron fist will come in, and people will be ousted. Uh, there, you know, there, there's there's so many compounding issues, and climate change is is just the the newest uh, one that's really intensifying. Haiti is considered one of the top, the most vulnerable islands or vulnerable countries in the world to weather related disasters. So it's not only earthquakes; it's these hurricanes that just keep pounding the sea level rise the storm surges the flooding and uh so it, it was actually ranked number one with myanmar as as a top con- country for disaster um one and, thing then, it, and then you just good oh, go ahead oh uh, i was just gonna say one thing that i kind of noticed reading about this that i thought was interesting is that, that they'll often present climate change is like this new thing and and we're adapting to it as it happens or whatever like that but if you read into i mean how much obviously everyone's known about it for so long um something i did not really understand until i was reading a little bit of your work is that the uh the dhs sort of like for like has a plan in advance of climate disaster for you know deporting people and stuff like that i mean the the answer is not how do we make this a situation better to where these people's lives can you know flourish and they can get into the country and stuff like that safely it's and then like response to it like there's there's a premeditation going on for for securing the border in response to something like a hurricane or something like that can you talk about that a little bit yeah uh you could just go look at the dhs climate action plan and you can see they write it for themselves. They'll talk about, they talk about in this action plan, the uh, droughts in Central America and how it's displacing people and that people are going to come north. Um, and and then, but when you, through a DHS perspective, there's, there's just no talk about any sort of status or anything 
you know, the climate refugee status, as some people say. There's no talk about that, no debate about that. Instead, they go to their five-point mission, which is all about border and immigration enforcement and cybersecurity and counterterrorism, and they put it in there, and they and the, and it becomes we're going to prepare our borders for mass migrations. And in in the Caribbean, there's a biannual uh, joint task force exercise done by DHS and Southcom, which is Southern Command, U.S. military, that they go in and they they. They they uh, interdict. They practice interdicting people fleeing uh, different islands in the Caribbean, presumably because of disaster situations. And and so so they so these things are are practiced. They're um, uh, the kind of assessments you see. The even the latest, you know, these assessments have been going on forever. Like a Pentagon commissioned assessment from two thousand three says the United States in a worst case scenario, they're looking at the worst case scenario, says that the United States has to build up defensive fortresses to stop unwanted starving immigrants coming from Latin America or the Damn. Caribbean. And then um and and uh and 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 I looked at the net the the um annual threat assessment. That's a threat assessment that comes out every year from the National Directorate of the Intelligence Community. Anyhow, it in this it I, I counted how many times it said the word migration and and it said it 18 times. And I looked primarily at climate change and migration and there, it was just all over the place. And they were predicting like, they didn't talk about Haiti and they could have, I think they really could have. Um, but they, they talked a lot about Guatemala and Honduras and, and uh, the droughts and the hurricanes and how that's all converging. And, and instead of, instead of uh, putting it as, Oh, Here's a humanitarian, a potential humanitarian disaster that we should, you know, try to try to alleviate or fit or, or help out on. It's more like, oh, no, this is a threat. The threat is that these 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 people, quote unquote, are going to come up to our border. Right. And that's and that's pretty much the client. The, I, there's a it's a, called a climate security narrative. And that narrative is is that the event, the climate event, the hurricane, the drought, the storm surge the flood that's what's more dangerous is what people do after the event so what do people do in the aftermath and in and included in that is is as much as i've seen looking at tons of assessments now you know it's migration is very much a part of it. it's called it, people like it's put like oh it's going to destabilize it's going to cause political instability it's going to cause conflict um all these all these uh ways of looking at immigration rather than looking at, oh, people are leaving because there's a disaster and maybe, you know, maybe there's another way we can go about things. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are quick to say that the government doesn't have a plan for climate change, which isn't true. The the parts of our government that are functional have books and books and memos printed out on how to deal with climate change. It's just in the ways that are profitable. Scaling back production is not profitable uh, building a big scary wall and new prison camps is. And so there's a whole philosophy called like gunboat America people look into where you can just have a big fortress we live in and then everybody else has to get in here. And it's a uh, the de facto agreed on method we're using moving forward until it's challenged. I mean, if they want to take this whole gunboat security state infrastructure and use it on uh, fossil fuel CEOs, 
that could be helpful, but it seems <laughs> Do like... Do you know how easy it would be to keep, like, 12 people out of America? Yeah. That'd be awesome. Oh, my goodness. We could do that. We could put them in a volcano prison. We could use right. the whips on them. That'd be cool. <laughs> the horses? But instead, yeah, we're beating up on the people who are going to be... Who are already being impacted by this and uh, just making their lives even more miserable. Um, when it's not, like... To just go back for a second, when 1924... Is when you know when we started uh, keeping track of the border a little more, um, but before that, you know, was there a huge problem of immigrants coming and stealing jobs, or or German spies and saboteurs sneaking in and bombing places, or, or was it a pretty functional society despite having more or less open borders? Oh, I mean, it was they they had other laws before, like okay. most famously. Was the Chinese Exclusion Act right? Right, and um, and really, when you when you look at the orig- origins of the nineteen twenty four, the Border Patrol. Besides, if you look at the immigration laws that were passed, oh my God, they're they're just really, you know, they're 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 just they're, they're they're saturated with xenophobia, and you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff in there, and it was uh, and, eugenic too, right? We did an episode yeah. on this, but they were worried about yeah. the national. Germplasm, which meant uh, gene pool, <laughs> um, but it wasn't really based on like economic rationality so much. Is that fair? No, in fact, the Chinese labor there was a lot of Chinese labor that was coming in and building like the Southern Pacific Railroad uh, in the, like the early 1920s. That's what they're. That's what it was built. It was Chinese. It was again, you know, the labor, the working class, um, the working class that were actually building infrastructure in the country uh that was the focus of you know whatever the immigration apparatus is even with the chinese exclusion act uh it was there was not nearly the resources put to any of this that there are now you know, just mm-hmm. just a fraction and and even when even though border patrol started in 1924 it was like a hundred agents on the southern border and a hundred agents on the northern border so they actually had equal equal at first um and uh, it really was a slow growth um, for a long time. It got up to four thousand by nineteen ninety four. Now it's twenty one thousand. Uh, it's it, so it it just it just took like so you could even argue even after the border patrol was created and even those these laws xenophobic laws were being were being passed that people just still came came in and out very easily o- over the border. And it wasn't really until the nineties operations that it became. Super, it became really, really difficult to do so. Yeah, it's interesting how threats to our germplasm have never been more severe. (laughs) Well, I mean, they use weird shit like that to justify what is, you know, what is it's a a smokescreen for what they're actually sort of up to here, which is just sort of feeding this weird industrial complex. But like, whether it be you know the germplasm thing way back in the nineteen twenties or like now they're using this like title 42 thing to scare you with today's germs of you know are you a person who worries about uh covid a lot well okay we can attach this as a narrative to this they're gonna bring in covid or whatever um to round out yeah another thing that that was making me think about was uh this sort of justification they use to you know to float this stuff these days which i don't think is really demonstrably true if you look back 
to the past as we are right now, uh, which is that there's like this threat of, uh, you know, too many people coming across the border and then like inflating the economy or something like that. Or there being this crisis of too many people coming into the country, which, you know, the origins of these organizations don't seem to even point to them being in response to that. So it's weird that they're being propped up as like a, um, you know, that's their purpose right now or whatever. But with that being said, um, let's sort of round out on the concept of open borders. Do we think, you know, it's possible to get back to at this point? What do we think it would look like? Um, I don't know. In general, let's discuss. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, the, well, one thing I, I, I think about a lot now is like when that term is brought up, open borders, the automatic thought is like, oh, people coming to the, to the border, people coming for a variety of reasons, often poor, you know, and what I think also needs to be thought of is there is an open border policy and it's not for it's it's for like corporations like NAFTA mm-hmm. was was very much a, an open border policy for like it got rid of any sort of restrictions on companies being able to cross the border uh, like in all kinds of companies. And you can see see these companies like NAFTA. Now there's CAFTA, the Central American Free Trade Agreement. These companies can go to any place, set up shop, start a mine, put cyanide in water, like people like cause havoc, cause displacement. And there's no border patrol stopping these companies, right? There's no border patrol stopping the U S military has 800 bases all around the world, right? There's no border, there's no border patrol, like ice that goes in and, and like if a company is like contaminating water, they don't go round up the company and then, put them in detention and then deport them right so it's the way that it's set up the whole idea of open border open borders closed borders is um one is uh set up in a way that you're always thinking about like in in a certain way while in another way it's totally already happening right people Mm. like the open borders already exist it's a good point um and um so like thinking of in 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 that sense you know it's interesting to hear all the different arguments that are oh people cross the border they'll do this they'll bring down this they'll stop cause this and and um and in all those arguments you could even ar- you could argue like oh from these cor- like these practices of corporations going to other countries and raising havoc that's what they're doing they're taking over they're like right they're, you know what I mean like the very thing the very sort of accusations that are usually leveled against that are anti-immigrant and definitely against any sort of open borders they they all have this like in all of them are you know there's a criminal element there's a drag down the wages element there's the, there's all these 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 different and there's all the kinds of studies and reports that debunk just about every single one of those uh, one of those arguments but um what i the the thing that i i want to um that i would stress is that like nobody knows what's going on on the border like nobody i mean by nobody i i mean like the majority of the country the United States, they don't know what's going on. They don't like most people in 2016, when Trump was saying, I'm going to build this big wall. Most people didn't know that there already was a wall. Most people don't know that these budgets have gone up from 1.5 billion to 25 billion annual budgets over the last 25 years. Most people don't know all the stuff that's going on. They don't know about the private industry. And, um, and if people, I think, began to unpack that and look at it and look at these budgets and look at you know, start to really think about what security really means, what well-being really means. Um, like, uh, 
Like if if things even if you just look at the domestic United States, like wouldn't isn't it insecure for a kid to drink like contaminated water in Flint, Michigan? Or isn't it like insecure? Like if you if there's not enough affordable housing and you're homeless, right? You don't have a like a roof over your head. Seems to me like would be something that would be secure, you know, something that would be something about security. But yet we're all like we're constantly told with the border thing is that oh there's this on the other side of this big wall there's people that are coming that are out to get you that they're going to come steal something from you they're going to steal your job they're going to steal this that they 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 you you know and then and then uh and so it seems to me like you can view open borders in many different ways but one way you can view it is like why are we spending 25 billion dollars on ice and cbp it's ridiculous like why can't if you if you just die die you take that money and start funneling into other things it could be just way more it could be uh, just way better for human well-being in general um and uh you know i mean you can go into a lot but that that sort of uh like looking at it um from that way is is one way to look at it and then one other way is that when we're looking at some of the major global issues we have even covid the pandemic um the idea that it can be solved by one nation state is ridiculous, right? Or climate change, like, oh, we're going to solve this. Or the United States needs to lead. It's like, really? No, you don't. You're like the biggest historic emitter ever, right? And and so what you got to do is cooperate and and start breaking down borders that are put up between other countries. And, and not just from a governmental level, but at a grassroots level. And uh, I think like those sorts of... Uh, uh, the the globe is calling for a new re, uh, reorganization, and you can look at climate. I think is is the best indicator of this. The things are going to change. Massive mass amounts of people are going to be displaced. We got to think about things in, in major in different ways. And the way that it's organized now with different countries and these borders and the board, like we were just talking about, the borders being a solution, quote unquote, to climate change. Um, wrong, right? That's that's no solution. What the real solution is people coming together and trying to figure things out. And you're no longer like, oh, I'm in this country, you're in that country. It's more like we're coming together. And so I, I really think there's a there's a certain border busting that needs to happen for the very survival of of humanity in this planet. As we if we if we think about moving forward, right? And I think sometimes we forget that in a lot of cases people don't necessarily want to come here right it's a very yeah. treacherous sort of path very <laughs> extremely risky and it's hard to leave uh the place you're from um yeah it so sucks if, here too right it's, it's a terrible place country place sucks. <laughs> it's a, no I people aren't coming here because it's great you know that's a big myth right. it's like oh because we're so awesome no it's <laughs> destroying the place that you live in and then you right. have to come here yeah so we should instead of spending all these resources militarizing the border we can think about how to uh, make it so people have a real choice. Um, if they, I mean, they should be allowed to go wherever they want, but um, you know, they should also have a decent quality of life in in their. In, I don't want to say homeland or fatherland, but in the in their <laughs> their place of origin. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I know we got other stuff to get to, and we've taken up a lot of your time, so I appreciate you talking to us, Todd Miller. Where can I listeners find you? Um, my, uh, website, toddmillerwriter.com, I think. <laughs> yeah, toddmillerwriter <laughs> is my website. You can find me. And the Border Chronicle, you just look it up. It's on Substack. It's, uh, it just, we just got this off the ground, uh, earlier this month. 
And um, on my website, I have my books and stuff if anyone's interested. Cool. Well, Thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. Yeah, yeah for thanks sure. For coming on. All that stuff will be linked in the show notes as per usual. Cool. All right. Thank you very much, Todd. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah. All right. Let's do plugs and get out of here. What do you guys have? At Andersley here on Twitter, Dursley on Instagram, redacted tonight. And uh, if you are available tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern time, there's going to be a webinar that I'm really um, encouraging everyone to attend. Uh, this is sponsored by the DSA International Committee for a Just Global Recovery, Debt Solidarity, and the Left Case for Special Drawing Rights, which is a wonky-sounding term for basically the ability uh, to create money. Uh, countries um, should be able to create, develop their own currency instead of going into debt, further into debt, to recover from COVID. Uh, we will put a link in the show notes. We're going to have Dr. Jayati Gosh who's a professor of economics, as well as Alex Main from the Center for Economic and Policy Research. That's Tuesday, September 28th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We might have a recording put up after the fact, uh, and this is also going to be connected to a phone bank um, to get uh, these countries special drawing rights so they can actually recover from COVID without going into debt. So 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, and uh, the link will be in the show notes. Drawing rights now. Get a Bitcoin that's the face of Boscar Sankara on it. It's not a Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoin. All of uh, the Jacobin editors are going to have a coin. (laughs) It's not Bitcoin. It's better. Better than Bitcoin. You heard it here first, folks. It's not Bitcoin. It's better. That's the slogan. Uh Uh-huh. SDRs. Advertising is so important. And uh, with that said, you can follow all of my advertising. On Twitter, at Patak Test Kitchen. And if I have a webinar, I'll put it there. And you'll see my webinar there. And that's going to be it for my plugs. That's a, a, simple and it's easy and we all love it. I don't have any webinars. My album's going to be out streaming on shit on November 5th. My new one. Um, and what we just put our live show up on the Patreon, which I did 20 yeah. minutes of even newer stand-up on. So you can see that and also our live show about 9-11 Eve if you sign up for our Patreon. It's pretty good. It's like an hour of comedy. I think we did a pretty good job on it. Um, That's it. I don't have anything else to plug. I'm not leaving the house. Well, Halloween's coming. After that, I'm not leaving the house. Come to Jake's house. Yeah, come to my house. It's finished. Cool.